You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. So we um, we are going to embark on this journey in the book of Jonah. And I know most of us probably sitting here, even if you don't know the Bible, you, you know the story of Jonah in a very simplistic way. But I do believe that it is a very unusual book in the in the Bible because in the in the New Testament God was calling people to do what we've just been talking about with Peter God called people to to go and to go around the world this was not often the case in the Old Testament because the nation of Israel was to be kind of like this attractive light where people would come to the nation of Israel like the Queen of Sheba they they would come it was not so much a call to go out uh, when you look at the book of Jonah, actually, though, he is the exception to that. So, so I believe that as we begin this journey, today is a very simple, intentionally simple message for those of you that perhaps need a paradigm shift, or for those of you that perhaps need a little bit of recalibrating in the engine, because it has to do with the Word of God. Now, I recognize in any group of people where you're sitting in the room or whether you're online, that I recognize that this is going to spark in you something that may remind you of how important the Word of God is, and it may spark in you also the sense of like, wow, I haven't, I haven't really been in rhythm with the Word of God. Statistics will tell us that. We live such a busy life and cluttered life that sometimes... Our, our rhythm with God, especially in the Word of God, can guide, kind of drift into another lane. I get that. I'm, I'm busy too. I get that. So this will be to champion you. What a, what a perfect time of the year to say, hey, let me, let me re-engage with God. But I do believe that how we view things will determine what we're going to do with them. In other words, if I don't think something's valuable, then I'm not going to engage in it. I love those shows like those antique shows or uh, there's a show about a pawn, a pawn shop, you know, and they. Uh, I just saw recently where this lady had this medical book she brought in and it was worth $25,000 and they asked, how much did you pay for it? I got it at a yard sale for a buck. I'm like, I keep praying that God would answer that prayer. <laughs> I'll take a yo-yo in. Hey, how much is that worth? That's about worth what you think it is. Dang it. This entire collection, we're going to kind of thematically surround ourselves with the question. And the question um, will take on different formats. But at the very core of the question, believe it or not, this was a question that we, my wife and I, asked ourselves that caused us to plant this church called 360. And the question was, what if? We felt a call to plant this church. I am not not trained to be a church planter. And probably most of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm, we kind of already knew that. Um, And so, but in this, we couldn't get away from this call. When the word of God came to Jonah, it's interesting when you began to look at it, in these opening 10 or 11 words, In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. He did not go looking for it. And most of the cause, I mean, the vast majority of time when when God calls us or God calls people in the Bible, 
God came to them unexpectedly. Moses was out the back 40, you know, mind his own business, and God showed up. Uh, Peter was out fishing, and, and Jesus shows up. So often, the word of God comes to us, and I believe that it comes to us today. Most of the time that when pe- people were called in the Bible, they didn't want to do what God was asking them to do. It makes us feel a little better, right? In other words, when God asked us, we're in the middle of this who campaign. In other words, who is God putting in our path that we might spend time with them, we might build a relationship with them, that we might ultimately share our faith with them, share Christ with them? Who is God putting in our path? And I know sometimes our instinct is like, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm not that person. And God often very frequently will call us to do something, to say something, to be something that left in our own nature, we're like, nah, I don't want to do that. That's sometimes how you know the, that God is calling you. I get a little bit nervous for those who are over eager to be at the front of the class. In fact, a, a, across my career and my profession in the ministry, I'll have young guys that will come there and you're like, hey, I feel called to the ministry. I'm like, oh, tell me more about that. Tell me, how, how would you describe the call? I'm like, I just want to preach, man. I'm like, well, you know, preaching is kind of like the cherry on the Sunday. <laughs> the other part of ministry is very, very difficult. So you better make sure that it's not just because you want to be at the front of the room, because this is the easy part. The part of the ministry when you're dealing with people and the hardships that they have and all those things, those are the difficult things. So quite frankly, I didn't want to plan a church. In fact, I still don't want to be here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm okay. That's all right. But we couldn't get that call away from our lives. And so we said, my wife, Carrie, and I, we looked at each other and said, you know what? We feel God calling us so distinctly. That we don't, when we're 85 or 90 years old, if God gives us this, that life, we don't want to look each, at each other and say, what if we would have said yes to God? We were afraid of that question. So we said, okay, God, we don't feel. And so Jonah, I relate to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. These people that the Jews had hated for years. These people that were living immoral lives, these people that were fierce, they were cruel in the way that they treated their enemies. Why don't you go to them and share about your faith? So it was not something. So the word of God came to him. So as we look at these stories, we today we're going to ask ourselves as we begin, whatever God, whatever you have this, um, this sense that God may be asking you to do, what if God himself asked you? That's the theme of today. What if God himself asked you, what if, what if Jesus came meandering in the room, he sat right next to, down to you and said, hey, Ernie, I got, I'm going to ask you to do something. It would change it, right? It would change it because sometimes I do believe that it's easy for us to what I'm going to refer to today is wipe the fingerprints of God off the whole equation. If we can just make him generic God, if we can dismiss him and say, well, that was Jonah and that was then and this is now, that was Moses and this is now, I'm not Moses and you know I'm living just kind of everyday average life and that was then, I could kind of dismiss the fingerprint call on our life that God may be asking something specific for you in your own life. I do believe that when we look at this call on Jonah's life, that it is very important. This is the simple part. It is very important how we view this thing we call the Bible. 
Very important how you view it. So that's where we're going to land today. So here's the first thing I want to say about uh, the Bible. It's purely from God himself. What do I mean by that? As culture unfolds, so often we think that some people think that this was a man-made book. This was a human book. And in, in fact, it was written by many different authors across many different generations. But if you look at it, at the Bible, at the word of God, if you look at it as only something that is man-made and full of mistakes and error, then you will choose where you think the errors are. You're going to say, oh, that's not true for me, or it's saying that. And instead of letting the Bible change us, we will choose to change the Bible wherever it is convenient. If it is, in fact, directly from God, then it is immovable. It is unchangeable. So when we look at this verse again in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, I look at, we're going to look at it at different angles. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. In other words, it is God's letter. So recently I, I saw this um, some pictures come in on the Internet. In fact, I'm going to bring one of them up. This is a very familiar place for me. This is Richmond, Virginia, the capital of Virginia. I grew up in Virginia, and I went to my, I got my first degree at a university here in Richmond, Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. This is Monument Avenue. You know, it's been a focus of much attention these days with the monuments and, and whatnot. And this is the, the statue of Robert E. Lee. If you go to the next slide, this is what that statue looks like now. Of course, they've torn it down. And so, uh, but when they were going to dismantle the, 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 the statue, uh, and this is not, uh, this, my time here is not to say I'm pro this against this. I'm just saying when they tore this down, they recognized that the history books told us that there was a time capsule in this monument. And so as they that was put there uh, in the 1800s, and so uh, time capsules are super cool because like what the, they thought they knew what was in the time capsule. And so lo and behold, as they started uh, digging, they found what they thought was the time capsule. It was a box. But someone had put, in, put a, an alternate time capsule in there. It wasn't the one they were looking for, so they were super disappointed when they started going into the box and finding it, and they, and they found it. it wasn't the real deal. There are a lot of time capsules spiritually that are out there, but there's, a, there's one that's real, and there's a lot that is not real. But lo and behold, they kept digging down, and they dug way, way down beyond the foundation of that statue in Richmond, Virginia, and lo and behold, they found it. And this is the box that they found. And inside the box, there was like uh, newspapers of the day. There was a piece of wood with a bullet in it. There was a picture of, of, uh, of uh, different parts of, uh, you know, like Lincoln and laying in, the, in his coffin. And there was a, a Bible in this time capsule. And so the point is, in the next photo, I think it's the picture. Yeah, this is a picture of uh, the newspaper that they found was still intact after all the moisture had kind of seeped into it. In other words, look at the effort that they put forward to dig down deep into something that was preserved in time to find the original artifacts that were in that, in that box. 
The Bible for us can be purchased at Walmart for $12.99. And the challenge is that we can sometimes forget the value of as if God had written a letter and we actually had it in our possession. If you view the Bible tomorrow morning or tonight, whenever you open the Bible, this is a fingerprinted original version from purely and directly from God. It will change the way that you read it. It will change the way that you absorb it. It will change the way that you let it engage you. It will change it to being a rudder rather than just some archived something letter that's not worth anything. In fact, I I did a little research. I I wanted to find out what is the highest paid uh, valued letter ever written in American history. And here it is. This is a letter from Abraham Lincoln, handwritten to the little people. This is called the little people letter. And the little people were 195 children who wrote a petition to Abraham Lincoln to free the slaves who were children. And it's interesting. It's very moving. At the very end of this story, he says, please tell the little people, these children, that I'm very glad the young hearts are so full of just and generous sympathy, and that while I have not the powers to grant all they ask, I trust they will remember that God has and that, as it seems, he wills to do it. How powerful is that? You know how much that letter was sold for? $3.4 million. $3.4 million. You see, this one cost me $12.99, and that's the problem. <laughs> because I can sometimes undervalue, but if I, if I thought this Word is directly from God. Watch 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul said, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, when you read the word of God, when you read the word of God tomorrow morning or tonight, which you've heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. Watch, which is at work in you who believe. The direct statement that's being made here, I believe that if you don't believe that this is the word directly from God, it will not have the work in you that it's designed to do. The book of Hebrews says that the word of God is active in us. So if I come to the Bible and say, man, this is the fingerprinted, handwritten letter from God, then it will then it will be allowed to have work in me. If I don't, if I say, well, it's just a history book. It's written by different men. They're probably full of mistakes. It will not have the supernatural word word in in you, the work in you. So I'm going to ask you two questions throughout the the morning. And I understand that we're at all different places. First question is this. It's a little penetrating. When is the last time you opened the valuable, handwritten, fingerprinted letter of God? Now, you may be sitting there thinking, or maybe you're at home and you're thinking, "Ah, it's been a while. What a great time of the year to do it. This is still the beginning of the year. 
And you may have questions. How do I do that? We talk about it in our disciple making, but you can come up afterwards. I'll show you. You know, I do a one year program. Super easy. It's super. But the question is, hey, when is the last time really that you engaged with the letter of God? Second question is this. If you are engaging with the word of God. Is it obligatory? Or is it like, oh, man. This is the letter of God. Because I'll be honest with you. My confession is this. Sometimes it's obligatory for me. I got to do my daily reading. I got to get it in. You know what I mean? And I have to stop myself. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is, if, if I were, you know, had a, if someone said, hey, I got a letter from Edison, Thomas Edison, handwritten, you want it? Nah, that's all right. I got a lot of letters. I doubt it. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I mean, is it under glass? I mean, we'd be carrying it like this, you know, because it's so valuable. And if I open the word of God tomorrow, I'm like, oh, let me just open it because there's going to be a work in me. As I'm opening the word of God tomorrow morning in my time with God, what if I said, God, this is your fingerprinted letter to me. It is directly from you. Open my eyes and let it work. Remember when Peter, Jesus asked Peter, hey, who do you say I am? I know a lot of what people are saying, but who do you say I am? In Matthew 16, Peter said, you are the son of God. And Jesus responded, you know, this is not a human revelation. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I would ask God, would you reveal to me? Would you have a supernatural revelation that I really appreciate the word of God that is purely from you? Not only is it purely from God, but I let me say something that may blow your mind. It's personally written to you. It's personally written like there was no other human being on the planet. If I open the Bible and I'm like, man, this is directly from God, but it's personally to me. You think, well, wait a minute. How can that be? I mean, there's 8 billion people on the planet. Are you saying that God wants to speak to me personally at that intimate level with 8 billion people in the world. I remind ourselves today that God says in Psalm 139, for you created my soul, my inmost being, my most hidden part. You know, it's easy to think God created trees and he created, you know, elephants. He created, you know, our bodies, but he created our soul. He knows us intimately before we're even born. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You remember Jesus said, hey, I, I can tell you how many hairs are left on your head, are, are coming in your head. Mine are, mine are leaving. So, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I know the exact number. You think, wait a minute, how in the world could this be true? And so I reached out, was reminded of the stars and God's, uh, you know, his, his, um, understanding and relationship with the universe because eight billion is a pretty darn big number i mean i i can hardly remember you know 150 people's names but how do you remember eight billion how can you have that relationship and i know that every single person sitting here has a significantly lower image of god than who he actually is because we're human beings right he is significantly but the bible helps us elevate like okay well maybe that's possible do you mean do you mean that there is a guy somewhere in china that god knows exactly the number of hairs on his head 
Do you, do you, do you, are you saying that there's a, there's a baby that was just born yesterday on Sarasota Memorial that only has two hairs and God's counting those? Yep. <laughs> That's what we're saying. How can that be with 8 billion people? So I reached out to this professor that we have in the first service. And I said, hey, he, he's just, he's uh, all about the universe and astrology and all that stuff. And, uh, or astronomy. Astronomy? No, astronomy, yes. Awesome. Yeah, I told him he was an astrologist this morning. I wondered why he wouldn't speak to me after the service. <laughs> kind of weird. I asked him, he's been teaching for years. I'm like, tell me about the stars and how many, there, how many stars are in just... And, and the, you know, roughly, <laughs> rough number of stars. And here's what he told me. In our own Milky Way galaxy, there are eight, uh, no, 300 billion. Okay? Just do the math. Eight billion human beings, but 300 billion stars in our galaxy. I said, okay, give me a rough number then beyond our galaxy. The number is 70 Two billion trillion. That that means seventy two with twenty two zeros after it. Okay. Now compare seventy two with twenty two zeros after it to eight billion. Eight billion seems kind of walk in the park all of a sudden, right? Isaiah chapter forty is mind blowing. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Watch. Lift up your eyes and look to the universe. Who created all of these? God, who brings out the starry host, 72 billion trillion, one by one, and calls them each by name. Our God is big and personal. You see, it's easy to want to erase the fingerprints because if we erase the fingerprints of a fingerprint God, then we don't have to hear the message of go to Nineveh. I can say, well, that meant Jonah, not me. I'm not going to Nineveh. But God says, no, I'm calling you. When we look at this verse again through this angle, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son. Oh, I know your dad. His name is Amittai. And I know Amittai's dad. And I know his dad. And I know your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents. Because you see, I created their soul. He knows the soul of 8 billion people. I know that seems miraculous, but when you begin to put things in perspective, then you have these, these glimpses. As human beings, as limited human beings, we have these glimpses like, wow, maybe that's possible. Maybe as I open the Word of God... And I, and I value it as, as being purely from God and that it's written personally to me to God today, then my prayer goes something like this. God, help me see that this is your letter to me today. What do you want me to hear? There's sometimes I'm reading while I was talking to somebody after you know, the service, and I'm like, man, you're getting a book of numbers. You know, what is God going to say to you? And I said, you know, this is why I do a one-year Bible study, because when you're in the, I mean, let's face it, when you're in the bummer books, you know, or the books that are hard to read, because I had one guy, one scholar said it really well, some books are meant to be read, some books are meant to be studied. And look, I so 
let's be honest, there's some books of the Bible you're reading like, man, it's just a bunch of numbers, it's just a bunch of this, that, and the other. But then a one-year Bible uh, approach has, okay, now get, get to read the book of John a little bit today too. So there's always something I can say without a shadow of a doubt that when I've approached the God, the Word of God, as it's purely written by God and personally written to me, there's never been a day where I'm like, wow, God, thank you. I needed to hear that. When is the last time you opened the letter personally written to you from God? Second question, how are you reading it? How are you reading it? You see, John chapter 8, Jesus said, he who belongs to God, you got the fingerprints of God, on your life. He who belongs to God, you're going to hear what he says. God, would you open my eyes? Here's a, here's a third thing. So it's purely from God. It's personally to me, but it's purposefully for others. It's purposefully for others. In other words, if we're not careful, and if we only stop at the first two, I believe that it's possible to become a bit monastic with our faith. What do I mean by that? Oh, this is God's letter and it's to me. It's God's letter to me. I'm just going to kind of soak it in. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't stay there. Moses, I want you to go, and I'm going to give you a direct message for the millions of people that are in slavery. Jonah, I'm, I'm, this is a message directly, purely from God, personally to you, Jonah, son of Amittai, but I'm calling you, I'm speaking to you for others. Otherwise, our faith can become spiritual infatuation. It can become spiritual navel-gazing, that it's just for me, and I'm just soaking it in as if I'm just the only person in a monastery, and God never used anyone behind the walls of a monastery until they went out of the monastery. In other words, God uses people in the world, not just in our own closets. It makes sense. Watch, in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching other people, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when you look at this personal word to Jonah, purely from God, and you look at it again in first in uh, Jonah chapter one verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go, go. As you're reading the Bible, we add a different layer now. God revealed to me that this is your word purely from you. Open my eyes to do the work in me today personally. And who is this for other than me? We can read the Bible selfishly, to be honest. What is it in for me? What about my life? God rarely calls us just to continue to work under the hood of our own car. But rather, he's calling us to people. So I got called to, for jury duty a few weeks ago. I was gripped with fear. I've, I've done it a lot of times before, but I was gripped with fear. And you're saying, hey, why would you be gripped with fear? Because I remembered that I was called to jury duty two days after the jury duty date. So 
I'm like, I don't know what they do. I kept looking at my people, like two guys in black suits are going to be standing outside my front door. I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so I, I literally didn't know. I was, I was really kind of, I, I embarrassingly say, I was really kind of freaked out about it. I'm like, what do they do to you? I mean, do they, do they fine you? Or, you know, do you have to go like mow the grass of the courtyard, courthouse down there or something? I don't know. <laughs> community service so anyway you know as soon as the office opened the next morning i call him like hey yeah you know, I, I was supposed to have jury duty two days ago and i swear i swear i forgot you know and so because i have tried to get out of it before and you know you write your excuse and i've gotten declined every time like no that's not a good excuse so i know they're not nice down there so anyway <laughs> maybe you work in the office just kidding so uh i i call my so and she goes okay well what is your name i gave her my name and she goes, uh, okay, let me look it up. That was on the day. She goes, oh, you're fine, because your number wasn't called. I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I say, am I like just a number? She goes, yes. <laughs> My number wasn't called. You see, God didn't call a number that day. He called a person, and he knew his dad. God doesn't call us. He delivers this package to us, and he cares whether you pick it up or not. You know, Amazon delivers a lot of packages to our doors, don't they? And nowadays, if you notice, they take a picture of the package, and they send it to you just to make sure that, hey, I'm, I'm free of the responsibility. Trust me, the Amazon driver, so I had a training in Naples yesterday, a small circle training in Naples, so we left on Friday, and um, and I got back, you know, late, you know, at dinner time last night, and there was a package that had been sitting at my door. Okay, trust me, the Amazon driver did not lose any sleep on Friday night, like, ah, oh, McCoy hasn't picked up his package yet. A oh, man, it's laying there. What's he got? What are we going to do? Man, I should go over there and park in the driveway until he opens the door and picks it up. He doesn't care. The Amazon driver is gone. He's delivering other packages, right? And so he doesn't care if I get it. He doesn't care if you get it. He doesn't care if my neighbor gets it. He doesn't care if a raccoon carries it off. He doesn't, and there's no care. This is not God. God leaves a package at our front door every day of our lives, and he's waiting for us to open the door pick it up, value it, understand that's written for us and for the purpose of other people. And he says, Steve, son of Charlie, grandson of Charlie Sr., I know your dad. I'm asking you to go. And if we were to fill in our name in the blank, maybe we would behave different. Are you reading the letter of God? And if you are, how are you viewing it? Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.